Bonus content coming at you today. Got a special guest lined up for you in the form of Sergeant Major Jamie Caldwell. He spent uh, seven years with the 75th Ranger Regiment, then 14 years in a special missions unit that maintained a high operational tempo in the Middle East. Uh, conducted over 500 missions across his uh, 14 tours of combat. So... Certainly excited, but here's the cool thing. What does he do now? Well, he fishes professionally and runs a tactical training center in addition to that. So lots going on with Jamie. And uh, one quick note, his internet connection wasn't that great. So like the first part of the interview we did through Zoom, uh, quality might come in and out. I know it's annoying. Stick with us because uh, we ditched that and just went to the old telephone line about halfway through. Uh, so keep that in mind. It does get better as far as the audio quality is concerned. But without further ado, man, let's get to know a fascinating individual and certainly an American hero in my eyes and, and probably many of y'all's as well, um, Sergeant Major Jamie Caldwell. Thanks for joining us, man. Yeah, good to be here, man. I appreciate it. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, first of all, thanks for your service. A um, little bit about you as we get going here. Where, do, where are you from originally? So I grew up in New England, in Connecticut. Uh, I grew up uh, three sisters, no brothers, <laughs> rough household. Yeah. Uh, but my dad was a cop, uh, 35 years in law enforcement. So uh, that's somewhat, I guess, how I got into i mean always playing cops and robbers and guns as a kid but that's sort of what led me on my path to join the military uh-huh yeah i read in your bio um on the black rifle uh, website that you used to have bb gun fights with your buddies in the woods oh yeah yeah so this was back and now i mean i was born in 75 so growing up in like the 80s yeah, we didn't have paintball guns and, you know, all these little plastic bullet guns that were somewhat safe to shoot each other with. We'd just go out in the woods with straight up BB guns. And, you know, you had the one pump rule uh-huh. where uh, if you had a pump BB gun, you weren't supposed to pump it once, but nobody <laughs> did that. <laughs> yeah, so we uh, we did, we had paintball guns. I'm, I was born in 81, so airsoft guns weren't a thing for me either. Um, it's funny though, my youngest brother's 10 years, mm-hmm. uh, younger than me. And so airsoft was like what him and his buddies did, but we use paintball guns and kind of like the one pump rule, you know, you're supposed to say hit if you're shot, but 
everyone just wiped it off if you only got shot once. Right. So you just unloaded on them until they literally were screaming and crying, saying, <laughs> swearing at you, saying, you got me, son of a bitch. Um, yeah, yeah kinda, exactly. Yeah. Um, exactly. You, you had to make them quit. Make them cry, essentially. Yeah. yeah. Um, so you but, knew you yeah, always wanted it. to be in the, uh, in the military. And you joined, you signed on with the, what, Rangers right out of high school? Yeah. So I, I knew that that's the path I wanted. I mean, I wanted to do something in special operations. I wanted to do something unique. Uh, so I went in and, you know, got a Ranger contract. So I knew that was my path. Cause if not, you know, you, you get a job, but then you don't know where you're going to go. You have no idea, end up in Korea, you end up anywhere. Um, mm -hmm. So I knew I wanted to do something unique. I'm, I wanted to be a Ranger. And um, so I, I went in with a Ranger contract that at least guaranteed, you know, I didn't guarantee you anything other than you would get your, you know, your, your training, your AIT or, you know, whatever your skill was, then you would go to jump school. And then after airborne school, you went to what was called RIP, Ranger Indoctrination Program. So it was like okay. a, it's a three week long selection. It's basically where they would um, harass you, PT you. I mean, they tested you, you know, there were certain things that you had to do road marching and PT test, and there were requirements you had to make, but you had to make it through that three weeks of torture, um, you know, to get selected and and then go to a ranger battalion so that's where you would actually you know we said you would live the life um because there's anybody that's familiar with the military they see guys with a ranger tab um the ranger tab you get that by going to ranger school which is completely different where if you get assigned to ranger battalion that's the unit you know the the ranger um, regiment in one of the battalions there where you actually live the life so the tab is a school but the scroll, the ranger scroll is what you get. You know, that's what you wear because you're in that unit. The scroll was a whiff. So that's what you were doing all the time or ranger operations. Uh, so here's an interesting thought that I have um, in this modern time where we live in a generation of, of wussies that are being raised right and left. And, and I've, I'm very frank about, you know, I don't think there's anything wrong with um, being a manly man, being full of testosterone doesn't it, you know that's what a man should be in my opinion uh that's what a man has always been and now we have all these soy boys um mm -hmm. when you talk about the military is there there's just no way to 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 train a, a special ops individual without putting them through that hell and i and you didn't even talk about the mental aspect i'm sure that they mentally um tried you guys as well I think that that's just something to, to make note of because here we have this in modern society, those kind of things are, are certainly frowned on, uh, but I don't see how there's any way to go around that uh, when it comes. And it, I've never done anything like what you went through. I got hazed in a fraternity, got hazed high school football, that kind of stuff. Um, now that you, you can't even do that anymore. And we just called it good old fashioned fun back uh, then. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a test. It's a rite of passage, you know I mean? Yeah. yeah, sure. Some of it may not be, um, you know, I don't know, correct or whatever, but you know, it, it to me, it, you know, I went through it and I went through a lot of it and, and, um, it makes you stronger. It makes you want to be better, to be, you know, for me, it was, you know, you got hazed until you got your tab, you know, you're, you're in range regiment. So you, you did one rite of passage to get there. You had to pass this selection. Now you're there, you're living the life, but you had to prove yourself today till you 
earn the rights to then go to ranger school and come back and have your ranger tab. So now you had your ranger tab, you have your scroll, uh, all those things, you know, you weren't really accepted anyway. So mm-hmm. you, you were motivated because you're like, I'm, I'm tired of getting hazed every day. The five times to drive to the range, you had to sit on the floor. I mean, this saying was, you know, if you ain't got your tab, hit the slab. Mm-hmm. So that meant you had to sit on the floor of the, of the big five ton truck, you know, not up on the benches and get a nice ride to the range. Uh-huh. Um, so it, yeah, it, it's, uh, the hazing just made you want to be better to get to that next level so that, well, then you could haze the guys below you, but <laughs> right. That was always <laughs> you know? a fun thing too. Uh-huh. Yeah. And in my, uh, yeah, experience yeah, pales in comparison to what, what you did, I'm sure. Um, yeah, yeah, right. Exactly. So you went into, rangers and when were you that was i believe uh 93 you graduated high school somewhere around there yep so yeah i graduated in 93 i kind of had my summer and then i went in in uh september of 93 yep so i got to ranger battalion by the time i finished all my training i got to ranger battalion in 94 and i stayed there i stayed in ranger battalion until um 2000 that's when I went to another selection to do something even more. Cause I, you know, I love my time in Ranger regiment. It was great, but there wasn't a war going on, mm-hmm. you know, issue happened. I was training. Um, and that was the Rangers, um, you know, in the unit, but I, I knew that there were better things out there. And I looked at going with SF like spaces and, and then I sort of figured out what their mission was. And, and it was, you know, to me, I wanted to do direct action. So I wanted guy on and I wanted to be doing CQB. You know, I wanted to go into the houses. I mean, I wanted to be doing the rating stuff just like we did in Ranger. Where SF, they had our, they have a cool mission, but theirs was mostly like you go to a foreign country and you restabilize their government. You know, you help build schools. I mean, you're just, I was like, I don't really want to do that. Like, I just want to go and be the guy on the ground. I want to be the action guy. I went to another selection for another unit um, where that's what you did. The mission is direct action. Um, and they were constantly deploying. I mean, they were all over the world. So I knew there's nothing going on in the world right now. This is my best chance to get into combat. And um, I, I got there in 2000, worked out perfectly by the time I finished it because I had to go through it. Then I got there, I had to go through, once I got accepted, I had to go through about eight months more of training and, you know, it's not necessarily a selection, but I mean, you can fail every day. I mean, every day is is selection while you're there. Um, So continue to go through all of that. And, and then 9-11 happened. So was, yeah, constant then deployments. And I mean, I, I was in combat a lot from that on and that's the picture behind it. that was Bora. So we were up in Tora Bora actually chasing bin Laden up in the mountains. And that's what this, the image that's behind me is from oh, wow. dropping some bombs on the mountain range up in Tora Bora. Yeah. That's incredible. Incredible. So I, I think it takes an yeah. interesting individual. Yeah, it, was a, it was a good time to want to be in combat. Right. I mean, that's it's, not something the know, average Americans like, Oh yeah, I want to, you know, I think a lot of people want to serve their country, but I don't think all of them are like wanting to jump right into combat. That's something you sought out. Right. It is. And that, you know, the, the military, there's a lot of things that you can, and most people just think, Oh, I do military. That means I'm going to go to combat. 
I mean, there's so many different jobs. You have mechanics, you, you have jobs that will never see combat. I mean, yes, they all train how to use a weapon. They're all, you know, basically you're all an infantryman first and then whatever your job is. But, you know, for me, yes, I, I went specifically because I wanted to fight for my country on like the front lines. That's mm. what I wanted to do. Yeah. Like my, both my grandfathers served in uh, World War II and my dad's dad was stationed at Guadalcanal. That's awesome. And my uh, mom's dad was actually in uh, England, but he had a desk job. So he never actually saw combat, but I don't think he, I don't think, I think he just signed Mm -hmm. up like so many of the greatest generation did. And, you know, his, his job just didn't end up um, being one that demanded he go into combat. Um, But he was there, Um, which I'm very proud of that, that both of them did, by the way, even though I, I never personally served. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, that's the, that time frame, that era, that generation. It was, yeah, it was a great time, great yeah. time to be in the military and, and just, I think, overall being American. Yeah, yeah. Talk about your, your military path. Uh, I know you, you got, you were there chasing bin Laden, like you said, in those mountains. And you told me off there, you even heard his voice on the radio at one point. Yeah, so we had, you know, obviously as we're moving the mountain ranges and Torb getting closer to him, you know, running into fighters and people that were with him and, you know, gathering a gear and equipment, we had a radio um, and we're intercepting some of their comms and actually heard him on the radio. I mean, he was injured. We had, you know, we had gotten really close to him. Um, He was injured. A lot of their guys were, they were calling for more medical supplies, um, but they were, you know, obviously trying to get him out the backside um, into Pakistan. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it was kind of neat, you know, actually hearing his voice on the radio at that point in time. I mean, we knew we knew we were close. Uh, yeah. Like I said, you know, I just I wanted to do more when I was in Ranger Battalion. I loved mm-hmm. it. It was a great time. I mean, I was in Savannah, Georgia. What's right. not to love about being there? I mean, it was a it's a great place to be, but I wanted to do more. So, so went we're all to of that your other deployments and everything. with the were all of your deployments after you uh, left the Rangers? Yes. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Okay. So I didn't, I didn't see any combat until after I left Ranger battalion. Uh, yep. Okay. Was in the unit. Right on. Okay. I just wanted to clarify there. Perfect. One thing I want to ask you uh, is if you hunt, because I have had uh, special ops um, individuals on previously. And some of them have said they don't, they don't hunt because once you've hunted humans, it just, it doesn't compare for them and, and they just have no interest in it. Yeah. It's, <clears throat> I mean, I, the only hunting I do, I mean, I, I love hunting cause I mean, uh, it's fun. It's, you know, I just, I love nature. I love the outdoors. I mean, that's, I fish a ton, but, um, mm-hmm. I like bow hunting specifically. I mean, I don't, I don't see much challenge hunting with a gun. Um, you know, unless I'm shooting like real long distance. I mean, I, when I was in the unit, I spent time in a recce sniper. I was on, you know, I was a sniper for a while through the special operations sniper course. And I mean, I've, I've made some long shots. Um, and that's fun. It's a challenge. You have to know your environment. There's atmospheres, you know, the ballistics, the wind, you have to be able to call all that to be able to hit, you know, your target at mm-hmm. a thousand yards and meter. Um, so the challenge thing, I'm actually building a, not a replica, but I'm, I carried an SR 25, my time as a sniper, which is a Knight's armament, um, sex two gun, you know, 20 inch barrel, but it's, it basically looks like an AR it's an AR style platform, you know, so assault rifle style magazine fed, it's not a bulk. Um, but that, 
I'm, I'm rebuilding one of those right now with, um, you know, with Knight's armament and I'm going to take it on a hunt and I'd like to, you know, shoot a deer or shoot something at, you know, 600, 800 yards or something, just cause it's a challenge. Sure. But for the most part, I, I bow hunt. Okay. Yeah, I really enjoy bow hunting. I got my longest, uh, confirmed shot on an animal in Africa in February. It was, uh, 530 yards on a, uh, I don't know if you know what a diker is, but it's a tiny little, it's one of the tiny 10. So it's a small target. You know, the, the thing probably weighed yeah. 35 pounds. Um, but, uh, my pH we've hunted wow. four, four times together now. I think he was even surprised. He was like, wow, look at you. You're a big boy now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can shoot. Yeah. yeah. That's yeah. that. That's a challenge. I mean, a small target at that distance, that it ain't easy. I mean, people, yeah. people don't, don't understand it, you know, how, how much of a challenge and how much the atmospherics change that bullet in history. And I, I forgot to, uh, put my head, my headphones on top of my head and I didn't put them over my ears. And that gun had a, oh, the muzzle break was pretty profound. And I, he was congratulating me and I was like, I have no idea what you're saying. Cause I can't hear a damn thing. Yeah. I can't <laughs> hear a word you're saying right now. All I hear is ringing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, okay. So you like to bow hunt and certainly want to do some long distance stuff. Um, what was the, uh, what would you say was the craziest thing you saw while deployed? Um, and you mentioned, you told me off there, you were in Afghanistan, Iraq, Syria. Um, I think you said one other country as well, maybe more. You've been all over the world. Um, and and yeah. just the most, the, the craziest thing, or maybe the most scared you ever were um, that you feel comfortable talking about anyway. Yeah. Um. You know, there is so much just weird stuff that you see all over the place. I mean, uh, you know, I would say probably the, the first time we, you know, you go to combat or for me, we got into Afghanistan and we're, we're driving down the road, you know, from one place to another. And it, it was literally like you step back in time. I mean, it was the wild, wild west. You just saw people walking around with just AKs on their back. And, you know, I mean, it, it, it just, it, it made, it made it feel like I was watching an old Western movie, you know, but obviously it's foreigners and it's AK 47s on their back, but just everybody had a gun and you, you know, sort of like all your training, everything that you think it's, it's like, well, I see a guy with a gun. That's a bad guy, you know? And you're like, well, wait a minute. This is just the way life is here right now. So that was a little, you know, eye opening um, to see just the everyday life, you know, over there with that. And then, um, you know, I mean, one of the, I guess, one of the other things that, that always sticks with me from combat is, you know, I, I, I vaguely, or not vaguely, I, I really remember the time and point where, you know, you, you, you hit that point where you're just like, you know what, I'm here to do this job. And I know that, you know, something could happen, I may not come home. But you're like, I I can't hesitate. Like I cannot think about, well, what's on the other side of this wall as I'm getting ready to climb over it at two in the morning, you know, and, and this bad guy lives in this house right here. Mm-hmm. Like I just gotta, I just gotta go 100%, you know, 110% and get over this and, and do this. Like if it happens, it happens. If I get shot and I don't come home, whatever, but these guys here are thinking the same thing and they have my back, you know, I have to have their back. So kind of that point in time in combat where I, I sort of like let go and was just like, okay, 
let's not worry about what's going to happen next. Like, this is the mission. This is what we need to do. Like give it 110% and just, just accept it if it happens, you know? So sort of that point is accepted. Look, if it happens, it happens, but let's just do this, you know? So well, that was, on some level, you know, that's probably a pivotal what, moment sort of. Yeah. But and I imagine on some level, that's what keeps you safe. Like if you're given 110% rather than, you know, the hesitating is what would probably get you killed. Oh yeah, definitely. Absolutely. You know, and it's, it, it is just like, you know, the light bulb, I mean, it literally like the light bulb went off and I'm like, the heck am I doing? Like, why am I sort of hesitant? I'm popping over this wall. Like I know they're out with a gun on the other side of it, but you know, I mean, most people are like, yeah, why are you going to go over there? You know, it's right. like, there's a guy with a gun over there, yeah. but it's, but that's what I have to do. That's what I signed up for. These guys, you know, that are right behind me need me to be giving 110%, you yeah. know? So yeah, sort of that moment where I realized like, all right, time's up. Let's do this. You know, you yeah. just give it 110%. Do you guys keep track of your confirmed kills? No. Heck no. Nobody does. Really? And I tell you, that kills me when I see, yeah, I see people talk about. Not even know, the snipers. Like, oh, this guy. No. Huh. No, you have no, like sometimes you're in areas and I mean, it, you can't because a lot of times you're not going to go shoot somebody or something and then you go and in, in order to have like supposedly a confirmed kill like some officer is supposed to confirm it yes okay yep you got that person uh, it don't happen like okay. you don't keep count you don't yeah so things i read in books or see people talk about other people from this era of combat you know where oh you had so many confirmed kills i'm like that's total bullshit so throwing some number out there like i think he killed 30 people or 40 there's no confirmed kills okay interesting interesting not what you see in the movies uh or what you read in books like we alluded to there you're breaking up a little bit so yeah you are too let's do this um i'm coming let's get let's just get on the landline i think the sound quality will be better perfect so i will um i'm gonna end this i'm gonna stop recording out here Hello. Hey, Jamie. You got me. Gotcha. See if I get like 10 megabits or something like that. Yeah, it's it's horrible out here, but it is nice that I can walk out my backyard and go hunting if I need to or something, you know. Oh, so, yeah. I'm not complaining. For sure. Yep. Well, so we talked about your time in the military, um, which I find fascinating. And, and thanks for being you know willing to talk about that. Let's transition now into what you do for a living here in 2021, and that is you're a professional angler. Uh, what what bass circuit have you fished, and what are you currently fishing? So I've I've fished most all of them. Um, I've fished BASF um, opens. I've fished a few elite events. Um, I've fished FLW. Uh, FLW tour, so the big tour for FLW I fished. Um, I'm currently fishing uh, BASS Opens, so I'm fishing the Southern Opens this year, Um, and then just you know local stuff and some team stuff. I mean, just whatever's uh, whatever's around the area that kind of works with my schedule with everything else I have going on. Okay, and and you actually started fishing professionally while you were still in the military. 
I did. Yeah, it was, it wasn't easy. Um, <laughs> but yeah. So, I mean, I background on all of it, I, you know, I grew up fishing. I mean, I said I grew up in new England, but we have a, uh, a cottage on a lake up in Maine. And every time we were up there, I mean, my grandfather used to take me out fishing all the time. And, you know, my dad used to take me trout fishing and streams. I mean, I used to fly fish a bunch and tie my own flies and, um, just really enjoyed that. But, I got into bass fishing in like the mid nineties when I was stationed in Savannah, Georgia. That's when I joined a bass club, started competing and just loved it. I mean, just, you know, I'm an adrenaline junkie, you know, jumping out of airplanes and, you know, guns and, you know, going fast and everything. Love it. So now with my love of fishing, now you add in driving boats fast and competing, you know, money involved and, and everything. I just, I was hooked. So I, I, I started tournament fishing when I was in Savannah. And then when I got to, you know, to Fort Bragg at the unit, um, I kind of slowed down a little bit just cause I knew the job would be more demanding and, you know, and training and everything else. But I linked up with a guy that tournament fished here. So, you know, and he was doing it. So I'm like, well, Hey, so I got back into it. And then I started to pursue it a little bit more, um, with sponsors and, and then just saw like, Hey, guys are making a living doing this. And I thought, well, after I retire, you know, I'll have my retirement coming in. So I'll have some money guaranteed. I was like, I think, you know, I might be able to give this a shot. So that's when I started lining up sponsors and, you know, as, as my career started tapering down. So, I mean, I retired in December of 14, but it was 2011 my schedule was going to work out where I was going to be able to fish um, the bass opens, which at that point you're considered a pro and it's a pro level trail. So I'd signed up for the three Northern opens. Mm -hmm. I fished the first one on the James river actually did well. I finished like 20, I don't know, 23rd or 24th or something like that. Cut a nice check. Um, And then I was signed up to fish the next two which I had a really good start, you know, on that season to qualify for the elites. Well, I got a phone call one day. It was like, Hey, we need you to go to Iraq. (laughs) (laughs) Great. Yeah. So Bass was great about it though. I called up, you know, Bass and explained my situation. They refunded my deposits and, you know, no worries. So, um, I just continued doing that, um, the following years and, and it just sort of worked out and, um, yeah, I just kept with it and, that was, that was my retirement plan. I mean, I retired and went fishing, you know, full time and also saltwater fished. So I fished, um, on the under, you know, with the Under Armour team, that was my primary sponsor. My boat was wrapped in Under Armour and the, their saltwater guy, um, out of St. Pete, Florida, I ended up linking up with him and started fishing the Mercury Pro Trail with him. And, um, I mean, we were killing it back to back winds, um, I mean, we just were doing really well. Oh, and that what was species fun. It, were you guys after? Uh, king mackerel. Yep. So we were fishing. Okay. Um, yep. King mackerel, mostly like in the Gulf and, um, you know, around Florida, that area. I mean, the trail ended up coming over to South Carolina, North Carolina. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was, it was a blast. And it's, it's totally different because, I mean, I'm so used to bass fishing where basically you're by yourself. You know, there's team tournaments, but it's you and one other guy in the boat. Where on the saltwater side, I mean, we'd have six guys on the boat. I mean, we're fishing on a 39 foot, you know, yellow fin with four, you know, Mercury. Now he's got like 450 horsepower motors on there. But um, yeah, it's nuts. I mean, that boat is about as fast as my bass boat. So, I mean, it's an upper 70 mile an hour, 80 mile an hour boat. 
at 39 feet versus mine's 20 feet. Um, but yeah, it's, it's kind of cool because you have that more of a team atmosphere, you know, which I'm used to from the military working in that team environment and, you know, working together as a team where on the bass side, you're more individual, but that saltwater side, you know, you're, you're every, all of your brains are working together, trying to figure out the fish and where you need to go and, you know, how to catch them and run the boat and run the line. So I, I really enjoyed it. I just, I had to taper back on it just because it got to be too much between, you know, bass fishing, multiple trails and doing the saltwater. And then, you know, I started up my own tactical training company. So I started doing a lot of different training for different agencies and, SWAT guys and law enforcement and um, so I just something has to give you know just like yourself very busy with everything you got going on that you know we can only do so much but it was fun I really enjoy it yeah yeah. yep as far as the bass fishing is concerned are you are you still fishing tournaments yeah okay yep yeah as a matter of fact I'm I'm picking up my boat today so it's uh my I get a new boat every year um I run a bass cat boat with a mercury you know, four stroke, two fifty on it. Uh-huh. All my sponsors, I still have all my sponsors. So you know, Minkota Hummingbird, um, CNG Holsters, um, Oakley Black, Black Rifle, Rifle Coffees. Yeah. yeah, Black Rifle Coffees, big sponsor. Um, Strike King Lose. I actually have. So this is kind of cool. It just ties everything together. But um, Lose uh, Rods and Reels. They brought me on board this past year, and I am now the ambassador for their American Hero program. So they have a whole line of rods and reels where all the profits and the rods and reels and stuff are donated to different um, military and law enforcement like fundraising events or different things that are going to help do stuff for veterans and law enforcement. So I'm the ambassador for that program, so I'm helping to kind of grow it, get more exposure for it. Um, And then this year I'm in the midst of designing a whole nother line of rods and reels that are like a higher end series for more serious anglers in that American hero series. So, you know, all these profits are just going to go help, you know, law enforcement and veterans out, which is, which is great. You know, it means a lot to me just because of my background and, you know, my dad and family that's been in law enforcement. So yeah, it's uh, it's pretty cool, but yeah, still fishing, still getting after it. Um, I love lose by I'm the actually, way. I've, I have the, yeah, um, good stuff, a good relationship with them and, We've done quite a few like rod and reel giveaways, and they've sent. I mean, my, my garage is full of stuff. They've sent me a lot. I caught my biggest bass on a one of their uh, baitcasters. So, uh, oh, awesome! Yeah, heck yeah! Oh, good deal! Yeah, great company, great dudes. Yeah, yep, definitely. Yeah. They're all really good guys. So, what is your uh, what's your biggest bass that you've caught? Personal best, and then the biggest bass you've caught in a tournament. So, <laughs> very fortunate, but most of my biggest fish have been in tournaments. Um, so up until, up until just last month, my biggest bass was just over 10 pounds, caught it in a tournament. Um, but yeah, just a few weeks ago, I was just fishing a local tournament, a a small local deal and just caught one almost 12 pounds. So it was 11 pounds and 10 ounces and some change. Um, Yeah, monster. And that's in North Carolina. I mean, both of those fish. Now, you know, I've fished Florida a bunch. I've fished Texas. I mean, I've fished all over the country. And I've caught a lot of big fish in Florida, like nine pounds, you know, eight pounders. But my two biggest fish have come right here near my house in North Carolina on some of the lakes that, you know, we have right around Fort Bragg, um, you know, which some some tournaments come here. MLF is, 
is here this week. Um, but it's, you know, Sharon Harris, Jordan falls, um, some, some great, just like somewhat smaller lakes. I mean, mm-hmm. the smallest one's 5,000. The others are, you know, about 14, 14,000, 20,000 acres. Um, but yeah, it's, that was awesome. Yeah. Well, you know how we do fish. it in Texas, man. We um we just grow big bass like like they do in Florida. And mm-hmm. I was fishing this community pond. It was like I'd say maybe twenty acre. It's really just a soil conservation lake right there, like in in the city, and uh, hooked into a ten two three, like nice. five minutes from the house. <laughs> wow yeah you gotta love that and my dad That's is awesome. my dad is a uh he's like in a bass club he's fishing probably every other week and he loves bass fishing more than i do and his biggest is an eight nine out of lake fork and i sent him that picture and told him to wait and i basically said i'm well i'm done bass fishing until you beat me so <laughs> and you know that proved to be true i took about two years off where I, I you know i had kids i started taking them fishing and stuff so i didn't actually mm-hmm. bass fish for myself for two years after i got that fish yeah you know, people oh, say wow. i'm just not that mad at them anymore i'm just I'm yeah not that right. mad at them. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good way to put it yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then my dad sends me a picture the next day and he's standing in the exact spot where I caught that fish, trying to catch it himself. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. <laughs> so what, let me ask you this. What did you think about Major League Fishing and the elites, like, dividing up? And you know, it was a, a huge deal. I guess it's been over two years ago now. But Major League Fishing yep. went from, a, you know, a, a TV show format tournament deal to – I mean, all the all the high end uh, anglers left BASS mm-hmm. and, and went to Major League Fishing full time, and and I don't know something about most little fishes to me isn't as appealing as five big fish. But what are your thoughts? Yeah, you know, I I think it's great for the sport. Um, and there's now even another professional trail that started the National Professional Fishing League that started this year. Um, but I, you know. I think it's really good for the sport overall to have more trails at that higher level, just because if you, the, the sport's growing immensely. And if you only have FLW tour and you've got, you know, the, the bass elites, there's not many places for guys to go. And with now there being junior trails, there's high school teams and trails, there's college, you know, these guys need a place to go. I mean, it's, you don't want it to just be like, well, I went to college and fished, but now, you know, I'm, you know, that's my passion. That's what I love. But now I got to go sit behind a desk. I mean, it's driving a lot of people crazy. I mean, like you and I are outdoor people, you know, we could not sit behind a desk. Just can't do it. Mm -hmm. So I think it's good. It gives guys different things to go. And you know, I like whether you love or hate the format, it doesn't matter. It's just like, Hey, it's, it's great for some guys. It's not for others. And, And you see that some of the guys that left bass and went to MLS and fished that format are like, Hey, you know what? I'm more of a, like I like to find the five biggest fish during the day and get less bites versus the guys that just catch them, you know, all the time consistently, but they just don't get the big fights. So I, I think it's good. I mean, you know, I like watching some of it. Their live coverage is really good. Um, yeah. They, you know, the anglers are talking and explain a lot. So for somebody to learn, you know, that doesn't understand everything or wants to learn more about fishing and how to catch them, it's great to tune into the live coverage because, I mean, I, I got the opportunity when they were here a couple of years ago fishing, you know, my local lakes 
I got like a behind the scenes kind of tour of everything. And I saw their trailer where, I mean, it is like a trailer at a national, you know, sporting event. They're in there. They've got, they've got tons of monitors up on the wall and everybody is there talking and they're, you know, Hey, so-and-so just caught one. We're cutting here. I mean, they are, it's unbelievable the behind the scenes that's going on during one of these tournament days. And I mean, you're talking multiple days. These guys are, you know, it's just really well run from yeah. the backside yeah. from what I saw. Well, I enjoyed it's, watching, good coverage. you know, MLF when it was on TV, cause it was something new, you know, like mm-hmm. when, when they first came out, um, and then I just like, I don't know, I thought it kind of sucked to see all, all of the top elite guys just, boom, we're going to mm-hmm. go over here. And the fact that they were, you know, they all, had, I think they all had like an ownership stake in it or, you know, a little more yeah. skin in the game. Uh, but I think a lot of the guys figured out the grass wasn't greener. Like Brandon Polinick, he's a friend of the show. Mm-hmm. He, he went back to, to the elites. And yep. uh, there's been others as well. Yeah, Swindle. Yeah, yeah, Swindle went back. And yeah. I think the, the, the cool thing in, I don't know if they could all come together to do this, but like you have the forest wood cup, you have the Bassmaster classic. Um, I don't know what MLF's uh, championship is, but there needs to be one championship or like the top 20 guys off each circuit all fish for like, you know, the actual championship. Cause it, right. you know, I don't think there's really, there's the, the classic isn't what it is now because those guys right. all left for MLF. So, you know, KVD doesn't even fish the classic now. So I don't know. It's just, uh, yeah, it is. It's, it, it, it is a little, you know, I guess upsetting for guys like you and I that have, have known it when it was, you know, when it was different, yeah. but you know, business wise, it'll never happen just cause you got, you know, one organization. Well now, you know, MLF bought FLW. So now they own all of that bass is separate. Yeah. Um, but you know, in, well, I would say it used to be, but I think MLF has actually said those guys can't fish bass. Um, yeah. So, yeah, that limits it because cause some of those guys, if they were allowed to, they could still fish the Opens and qualify for the Classic. Because I, I still feel like the Classic is the – that is the Super Bowl. You know, um, the Bassmaster Classic is the top you know, final tournament to decide. That's the way you know, I always felt. You gotta, then when all the top anglers yeah. say we're no longer fishing that or we can't fish that, then it's like, well, is it really that prestigious yeah. anymore when you don't see, you know, KVD right. and um, all the mm-hmm. other top pros that have, you know, Takiro yep. and all the other guys that have won the Classic previously, they're no longer there. I don't know. It's, it was just yeah. kind of weird. But, but it's, it's kind of cool, though, to see all the other guys that were more or less stifled because of all the big names that were grabbing up all the media attention you know now that those guys are out now you've got other guys that are really stepping up and you know but making a name for themselves um i mean you know bill lowen just won an elite event and he's been hammering it out for years and years and years i mean he is a phenomenal fisherman yeah you know but you know if you think about the field was bigger now some of these other guys they got smaller field they can spread out a little bit more you know they're catching different fish or you know they're not having to deal with because you know i've like i said i've fished some elite events and there was one that i fished it was on chickamauga it was a bass fest and i was fishing near the power plant on chickamauga and kvd was fishing over there and you know i'm not intimidated by anybody but 
when I was fishing there and he was fishing within 200 yards of me and he had this flotilla of boats over by him that were now in between him and I and near some of my stuff that I'm fishing, you know, I, I, I reached a point during the day where I was like, you know what? I'm out of here. Like, I don't want to deal with this flotilla. I don't want to deal with all these people just riding right over my stuff. I'm fishing. Cause they're trying to get over there to see him. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, I'm just like, forget this. So, <laughs> you know, yeah, it's, it is weird. I mean, some of those guys at that level, the way that they have to fish differently and manage, manage their fish to, it's not just like you go out and fish. I mean, they have to think about, you know, most of us would go, Hey, I want to work down this bank, but my key spot, you know, is a hundred yards down this bank. They can't, they can't do that because they'll set down a hundred yards short, but then there'll be 30 boats that go and sit down right on his key spot because they're just trying to see what he's doing. They don't know Mm. that's it. You know, so it's almost like you got to go right to your areas. You have to try to manage all that other boat traffic that just want to watch. And Mm. yeah, it's, I don't know. It's crazy, but I wouldn't think about, you know, so yeah, they have to deal with, um, what is the, uh, you know, the spawn is on here in Texas, uh, South Texas is probably wrapping up if it isn't already uh, over um, my part of the world, North Texas, it's like full swing. Um, what is your favorite bait for, for spawn? And I, and I, I get into the habit of just kind of only throwing soft plastics. I don't know if that's good or bad, but that's what I'm confident yeah. in. And, and I, I basically look at the tackle, tackle box and if it's not a soft plastic, I don't even consider it. Yeah. I tell you, I mean, I, a lot of times, yeah, that's it. I mean, if you're bed fishing, it's, you know, throwing, like for me, it's a, it's a strike King menace or a strike King structure bug um, that I'll flip into the, into the beds. Sometimes it's an, you know, it's an Ocho if I want just more of a subtle presentation. So like a Senko type bait, but Mm -hmm. I, I generally start with natural colors. You know, I try to obviously find them, let's, you know, see them first before they see me. I'll throw something natural in there. And then if I know like, okay, you know, gigs up, they kind of know I'm here or they're just not biting. Now I got to agitate them. Then it doesn't matter what you're throwing in there because you're just trying to agitate them. So then I go to like a white, um, I'll throw like a white structure bug. I'll paint the ends of the, of the, you know, the, the flippers there like red with a little red dye marker just so I can see it better. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I'll throw a little heavier weight just so that I can pitch it right there. Boom. It goes right to the bed. I can, you know, keep it on there or work it. Um, but another great, another great bait that a, a lot of guys don't throw for bed fishing, which I do a lot is a drop shot. Mm-hmm. So taking a drop shot with, you know, and this, I still use like, you know, eight or 10 pound test line. I mean, it's a light line because I'm trying to have that, you know, finesse or subtle presentation, but I'll throw a drop shot on the bed because a lot of times it's not about that bait being directly on the bottom. It's that bait being in that fish's face. So Uh you're agitating them. And when you can work a drop shot where it's up off the bottom and it's right in their face and just flutter that thing. I mean, it's just right there. They just, they suck it in and you just lift and hey, I mean you can you can cut down your bed fishing time a lot with having a drop shot on the deck and and utilizing it. Uh huh. Okay, that's interesting. Yeah, I haven't I have never tried that technique on uh, for bed fishing. I typically think about yeah. like post spawn when they're out fifteen twenty mm-hmm. feet, you know, and you're kind of okay. out in a little more open water. But 
nice insight there. You talked about agitating them, that, that fish that my dad caught on Lake Fork in, I think it was the early 90s, which was, um, like I said, over eight pounds. He fished for that damn fish for like, I don't know, four hours in the morning. Finally, just wow. gave up and went back the afternoon and got it pissed off enough yep. to where finally, finally, mm-hmm. he finally caught it. Which, uh, and back then, yeah. you killed the fish. You know, the, the fish that's on his right. office wall is, is actually the fish. Yep. <laughs> we don't do oh, that yeah. anymore. Yeah, well, uh, yeah. Back then, remember back then in tournaments, that you used to bring them in on a stringer. Oh, <laughs> you know? wow. I mean, there, yeah. were, there was no live wells. Like, you brought in a stringer of fish, you know? So. Well, you know, progress, I don't think, is always good. Uh, I think in this case, for bass fishing in the sport, it's certainly a good thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, definitely better. As we're wrapping up here, talk a little bit about your tactical school and, um, you know, if if people wanted to look look that up, uh, where they could find information on that. Yep, yeah, so um, the course schedule, everything's on my website, and it's oneminuteout.com. It's the, the number one. Uh, so one minute out.com or you can find me on social media uh, one minute out or you can just google my name jamie caldwell um, all my stuff should pop up but yeah my tactical training um, i have a, a, a heavy focus on night vision um, that's you know obviously i used it throughout my entire career and there's more and more law enforcement agencies getting it more SWAT teams are getting it some have it and just have never had training on it and they can't use it because they don't have training so I developed a uh, a multi-day, I have a two and a three-day class uh, for night vision that actually has like a qualification shoot in there where, you know, they're going to get a certificate that says they, you know, they qualified what their score was, um, but that utilizes their night vision, their lasers, you know, their white lights and, and all their sights. And it's pretty extensive. I mean, I took it from all my training. It's It's not, you just, you stand in one place and you shoot a target. I mean, you're shooting and moving and um, you know, shooting different positions. I mean, you shoot everything from 50 yards all the way into three yards. Um, so it's, it's pretty extensive. Um, but yeah, I, I do some rifle pistol stuff also. Um, all that stuff is, is on my training, you know, my training schedule on the website there that they can find it and look it up with some description on some of the courses. And if anybody's, you know, interested in hosting a course, then reach out to me. Uh, you can reach me through my website or JC, just the letter JC for Jamie Caldwell, uh, at one minute out.com. Just reach out to me. Let me know. Um, if you want to try to put a course together, we can look at it. If they either have a range or if they have a place that will, that will host it and, and help promote it. Different options there. But yeah, man, I just, uh, I enjoy giving back. You know, majority of what I do is, is train government agencies and law enforcement, but I do civilian stuff also. But it's fun to share that knowledge with those guys and, um, you know, just make them better out there at their job because, you know, I'm retired now and they're the ones out there that are protecting us, my friends, family and, and everything. So I want to make sure that they're that they're well trained and, and they understand and can use their gear to the best of its ability. Right on. Yeah. Well, as far as law enforcement these days, it's a thankless job. So it is. it's a weird time to be a uh, police officer in this country for sure. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah. they, they certainly deserve deserve respect, and I always, you know, when I come across one, tell them, hey, appreciate what you're doing, and they love it. You know, I think they, I don't think enough people yep. tell them that. So, no, I know it. Yeah, it's, it's it is like you said. It's a bit, it's a sad time to be. I mean, I give them total respect. I mean, a lot of law enforcement in my family, and you know, it's. I mean, the, the, the funny thing is, like, people want to give them crap when they get pulled over. Or, you know, they're they're knocking on their door. It's like well, you did something wrong. Like, they're just there doing their job because you did something wrong. 
you know. It's sad. <laughs> you know, so I was talking to a sheriff. Uh, oh, this was probably six months ago, and we're at the gas station, and I said, "Hey, can I get just get a picture with you?" Yeah, I just post it on Facebook and just say, "Hey, you guys support your local LEOs." And he's like, "Man, we're not allowed to take pictures with civilians anymore because people started using it against us and and like." You know, saying, hey, I want to take a picture with you and then um, posting it and saying, look at this asshole, you know, stuff like that. Like, oh, man, like basically tricking wow. them. And, and, yeah. And so they said they're not even allowed to do that. I was like, that is just so sad that it's come to that. But yeah. anyway, I appreciate them and I appreciate you. Thanks for your service and your your sacrifice. Um, yeah, it's, you're an interesting guy. I've enjoyed visiting with you, man. Yeah, it's been great. I really appreciate you having me on. I'm glad it worked out. And, um, yeah, look forward to hopefully coming back on and talk some more hunting or fishing or, or something again. Look forward to it. Good luck on the tournament trail. Thanks. I appreciate it. All right. Take care. All right. You too. Bye. All right, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Campfire Conversations. Thanks to Sergeant Major Jamie Caldwell as well. Y'all take it easy and have a great week in the outdoors. And his daddy did too. So I got my daddy's name stitched across my chest. And now I can drop a man from about two clicks. I wonder if he's proud of me yet I've got my daddy's name stitched across my chest